Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety, doing something a little different in this week's episode. And to tell you more about that, I am joined by one of the other hosts of this podcast, Cynthia Littleton. Hi, Andy. Hey, hope you're doing well. Before we get to your interview in this episode with Electronic Arts COO Laura Maielli, we wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on not only in the world of media, but in the world of Strictly Business. Our humble little podcast has always been about delivering insightful analysis on the business of entertainment, and now we're expanding the Strictly Business brand to the world of newsletters. That's right. Subscribers of one of Variety's existing newsletters, Media Earnings, will be getting a new expanded version that will begin distributing under the Strictly Business banner on January 19th. That's just ahead of the kickoff for the fourth quarter earnings season which gets underway with Netflix on January 20th. Every Friday after that, during each quarterly earnings period, we'll bring you everything you need to know about the financial results of many of the major media and technology companies as they deliver the numbers. And you know what's also exciting, Cynthia, about this is this newsletter is going to be a collaboration between the Variety Newsroom, which you lead as co-editor-in-chief, and my own team at Variety Intelligence Platform. Now, if you're not familiar with VIP, well, you really should be by now. It's a subscription extension of the variety brand that goes deep on the issues that matter most to the media business, with lots of charts and in-depth analysis that we'll bring to this newsletter as well. Together with the variety team's exhaustive and quick coverage from Disney to Google to Lionsgate, I think it's going to bring the best of both worlds. I would just like to reiterate that if you are somebody interested in deep dives into where the media and entertainment business is headed, At this heady time, you can't afford not to know about VIP and the good work that Andy and his team have been putting out. Um, As part of this expansion of the Strictly Business brand into the newsletter, one of the things that we're really focused on is covering earnings and investment issues from the perspective of an industry in transition. We are really writing our coverage for Variety's readers, the entertainment industry professional that is trying to understand where the business is going, how it's changing, who's succeeding and why. That is really our North Star. We are writing financial and earnings coverage for the entertainment industry professional. That's our differentiation. And you'll tell us, our listeners and readers will tell us how well we're doing at that. I couldn't agree more. I think that this fourth quarter we're heading into, Cynthia, is is going to be interesting because I think Wall Street is sort of wised up to the fact that these streaming services are not going to have the kind of growth trajectory that they've been experiencing for most of the pandemic. We're seeing even the big boys like Netflix and Disney Plus starting to fall back to earth. And, and I can't help wondering if that really is going to sort of set the tone for 2022 more realistic expectations, and perhaps some sobering reassessments of some pretty big companies. What do you think? I think the honeymoon is over. And in terms of streaming and the idea that the potential for everybody is so great. I've actually been surprised. Going into the, the great streaming wars and the launch of platforms, I really thought that the subscriber acquisition was going to be even slower for companies like Discovery, like Viacom, CBS, companies that were sub-Disney in terms of enormity and the amount of content that they could put up. I've actually been surprised at the depth of this market, but I think it does seem that that we are are hitting that plateau in the U.S. 
And while this is very much a global business, the U.S. is still a bit, the most important bellwether for the traction and the interest in the content. And I really think that while everybody, that while there was a honeymoon, every, you know, the, the skies were blue and the potential was great. Now that we've had, you know, now that we're lapping the ambitious period, we're really going to see Wall Street. We're going to see the, the drilling down on the metrics and what is your cadence? What is the pace of acquisitions? And I think that's going to be, those are going to be tough questions, even for the Disney's and the Netflix's of the world in this quarter. Yeah, Cynthia, I do think streaming is going to be really interesting this quarter, but it's not the only game in town. Video games, I think, is something that is getting more and more fascinating. We saw just this week, Take-Two announcing a huge deal to acquire Zynga. And so that's another reason I'm really interested in hearing your conversation with Laura Maielli, because I'm curious where that puts Take-Two's rivals like EA, are they going to have to sort of ramp up their own deal-making? Because it looks like consolidation is going to grip this space in 2022. I really enjoyed the conversation with Laura because she was really candid. And she also, it was an opportunity to talk to her about, you know, in the big picture, video gaming, uh, just like media content. I mean, video gaming has had such an unexpected, just accelerant from these pandemic conditions it's really, it, there is so much potential for them to harness and EA certainly has plenty of plans to harness all of that potential. Uh, she's also very candid and detailed in how EA has worked with Hollywood and when that's worked well and when it hasn't worked so well and why. It's a very thoughtful interview. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing your conversation with Laura. Before we get to that, just one last reminder, head to variety.com click on the newsletters tab on our homepage and you can sign up for the Strictly Business newsletter. And for now, more with Cynthia Littleton and Laura Maielli. Laura Maielli was promoted to Chief Operating Officer of Electronic Arts in September of 2021. She spent 25 years with the video gaming giant that is based in Northern California. Our conversation came a few weeks before that world was rocked by the news of Microsoft's planned $69 billion acquisition of EA rival Activision Blizzard. With that context, it's even more interesting to hear a top gaming executive talk about the competitive landscape at a time when Netflix is diving into this field and Microsoft is obviously about to become an even bigger competitor. That's all coming up after the break. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. 
My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Laura Miele, Chief Operating Officer of Electronic Arts. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of your show. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I've known that we were going to do this for a while, so I've been really interested. I've been I've been paying atten- more attention to the video game business, more attention to what mm-hmm. electronic arts, what's going on in electronic arts, which I know is a lot. I know EA was a giant and a and a you know one of the pillars of the video game business well before the pandemic. But how has this unprecedented sort of behavioral condition that that came upon us? How is that? changed your business? How have you looked to build on the foundation provided by this, uh, by this increase in activity? Mm-hmm. Great, great question. Um, I've been in the industry for 25 years and um, to see our growth over these years has been um, incredibly gratifying and motivating. And we as a business, games are larger than movies and TV um, and music, I think combined even. So it's $180 billion business globally. So it's, it's pretty, it's significant. And yes, when the pandemic um, happened, more people were playing and our existing players were playing longer and playing more as well. And something happened during the pandemic that I honestly, in all of my years in gaming, I never thought I would see the day. Um, but the World Health Organization um, recommended that people play games and particularly kids play mm. games so they could stay for, for their, for their <laughs> mental well-being so they could stay socially connected. Um, so all these years of, you know, of, of um, people having certain opinions about video games and for the mm-hmm. World Health Organization to encourage engagement and play um, was um, an incredibly exciting moment that, um, like I said, I never thought I would see. Um, and they, and they were right. They're, they're right that um, this that, that games are um, a significant medium for people to feel connected, for people to collaborate together, uh, for people to socialize with each other, to have a shared experience together. All these things games deliver. So um, it's something that we've always have known, um, but I was um, pretty happy to hear um, that kind of endorsement. And, um, and we have continued to see engagement um, in gaming um, throughout the past um, couple of years, as we said, we're coming on to two years. Um, we were con- continue to see really strong engagement. And I, I see us as we head into the future, um, you know, platforms and entertainment platforms, we are we are going to compete with the likes of um, the Netflix and, and mm-hmm. Amazon um, for um, people's time and people's engagement. And, um, and I, I love our position that games have. It's incredibly engaging. Yeah. Um, it is, it is interactive and it's very social. I mean, you and I could get on a game together tonight and play together, go on a mission together, solve something together, chat while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an incredibly connected, um, entertainment experience. So I genuinely believe that we have, even though we are the largest form of entertainment, we have a significant runway ahead of us still. Mm-hmm. I used to, for a long time, I resisted the term mindshare because I thought it felt, sounded jargony, but really it is accurate for the kind of competitive playing field now that it is not, you know, you can have as much competition from 
many different genres of television, from podcasting, from video games, from all manner of, you know, online pursuits that, that mm-hmm. come up. So I think that, I think that mindshare term really is accurate. And um, I'd be curious, what were the, what were the metrics that you, that you all were watching during the pandemic that you saw? I would imagine just engagement, the hours that people were spending on your games. Did you see like your subscription products take off? How, how, what were some of the metrics that allowed, that let you see wow, people are really engaging even more than they have in recent yeah. years? Yeah, that's a, that, that's a great question. We um, we watched a few metrics. Um, the first one was just new players coming into our ecosystems and our games. Um, that was fascinating to see um, people adopt, um, new, new players coming in, adopting new forms of entertainment. The second area was also really interesting in that we had our existing players that we would watch. We watch out people, their play patterns. And so people play on weekends heavily. You'll see mm-hmm. evening times and weekends. And what we saw is we actually saw people playing <laughs> more consistently throughout the day and during mm-hmm. the day and during the week. And so that was another interesting um, uh, result or, or um, you know, outcome of people being at home and working from home and uh, maybe having more flexibility with their time and their schedules. And so we saw, um, existing players playing more and playing more consistently through the week. Mm-hmm. Was there anything, I know, you know, you had to be cautious, obviously, in, in, in such a, in such a hard time, especially last year, but was there anything that you could capitalize on in terms of communicating with your customers? Did that, did that increase engagement give you any opportunities? Well, we, um, I think that one of the more meaningful um, things that we had the benefit of is that we, we were able to develop games from home. And so um, our developers and, and game creators staying close to our players was a really important engagement model. So to understand and hear players feedback on our game experiences and have our game teams that are able to respond um, in a way to our players. We, we launched 13 games last year and we la- also launched over 400 live service updates for players. Um, so we were able to really show up in the world and show up for mm-hmm. our consumers um, in a way that I think was really meaningful um, to them where other content creation had to um, stop and um, had you know challenges around um, their, their production. We were able to continue to move forward. Working from home, it happened, it happened for everyone. It happened, it happened very quickly um, within a couple of mm-hmm. days. Oh my gosh, we're working from home. And um, I like to say, if you would have asked me you know, a week before we went home, like, how long would it take for us to move our entire workforce to home? I, I would have said it would take us at least a year to create the plans, whatever. And then here we were, you know, a week uh, or a couple of days right. and we, everybody was working from home. And um, I just, I'm just blown away by the creativity and ingenuity of our teams about how they were able to um, really pick up and continue um, the, the production cycle. We had a, we had a game called Star Wars Squadrons that we were working on in partnership with Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we hadn't finished the music score for the game. Um, and it was May and the game was coming out in October and come, you know, May, 2020, there was no world or no scenario where we were going to bring a symphony and orchestra together to finish right. the score of this game. And as you would imagine, and rightfully so Lucasfilm has very high standards, um, on quality and production value, particularly in this, especially with the star Wars and music. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, um, so one of our music directors had um, maneuvered and had the idea and he he recorded one instrument at a time and he stitched together the score and it's beautiful and it was amazing. And we we won an award a few months ago with it. 
um, Lucasfilm approved it, and it was it was an amazing feat. So the idea that we can be flexible and change and adapt um, about how we create games was um, another really incredible outcome of this. And to see the, I guess, the ingenuity and creativity of our mm-hmm. teams was, um, was 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 pretty great. That one an orchestra, one instrument at a time. That is dedication. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> Let me let me ask you to step back a little bit. And, you know, even before the pandemic came upon us, there was, you know, no shortage of disruption in the overall kind of, you know, the the greater media and content world. How has EA dealt with the, you know, the disruption of the past decade or so with with digital, with streaming, with multiplayer games becoming so much more part of the business than the physical product? You know, video games in Hollywood are not not too dissimilar in the sense that Hollywood for a long time made a very good living selling first VHS and then DVDs. And as that has changed, that has changed the entire business. Are you guys dealing with that kind of shift from physical product to virtual and all the other, all the other complications and, and opportunities that come with it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, again, being in the business for 25 years, um, I can tell you that it always feels like it is changing every day (laughs) from (laughs) the days when we were PC gamers to, Oh my gosh, there's a console coming out now. What is this? This is, you know, and then multiple consoles. And then, you know, the phase where, Oh my gosh, you can play online. You know, you're playing (laughs) with people online. So um, I heard this quote once that um, for as fast as change feels today and for as much innovation that's happening, change will never be this slow again. And that is such a great statement and such a great way to kind of capture (laughs) video games because it's like, whoa, there's so much going on. It's like, yep. And it's only going to get faster. and It's only going to change even more. So that really is just the state of of our industry and and of gaming. And it's actually one of the more exciting, exhilarating parts of being in this um, space. Um, So we, I think as a culture and our orientation is to expect it and to um, help our teams thrive in that and embrace that and be excited and motivated by um, the opportunities and innovation and change. And the idea that we, and again, as we change and evolve as an industry, we just keep growing. We, we, we can, we, mm-hmm. we keep reaching more players every year, every month, you know, um, every day. And, um, and, and I think that the future paths for us, certainly in mobile um, to have mm-hmm billions of handsets in people's hands in all corners of the world, um, there's still a significant opportunity for us to bring content and bring play and bring joy to players, which is very exciting to us. Um, The idea of streaming and cloud, certainly um, as infrastructure globally comes online, Mm -hmm. you know, internet and um, and 5G and things like that are going to be really important for us to realize the potential of what it would mean to have streaming content that you don't need hardware right. or console sitting um, somewhere that you could actually, I could be, I could have my controller in my, my bag and I could play a game in my hotel room seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that, that is around the corner and, and really interesting. Mm-hmm. Are you dealing with the, the, the sort of the dilemma aspect that, that certainly, you know, print publications and traditional Hollywood is dealing with where the traditional businesses are shrinking, but still churn out, especially a lot of cash flow. Are you dealing with that sort of juggling with, you know, newer services that aren't generating as much revenue, but the older services that are, that were the stalwarts are kind of shrinking? Are you dealing with those dynamics in video gaming? No, not exactly. We actually have the opposite benefit um, mm-hmm. that it's it's very much yes and. Um, so we have our, um, I, I'd say the biggest shift has been 
um, players buying physical discs at a retail store versus downloading it digitally. And there's been a great benefit um, to us from even just a margin perspective and in mm-hmm. our reach and the, oh, the, growth, the growth of our business, because we're just able to access so many more players. And so that shift that you're talking about was a benefit to, um, to us. And, um, and I, and I think that the, the yes and part is really around, you have PC gaming and console gaming, and then we have mobile gaming, um, coming online. And then we have live services mm-hmm. and you ship a disc and you have, or you, you download a game and we will stay with those players for years with live services. So it's really been the, the evolution of our industry. The innovation has really been can, continues to be incremental and additive to expanding our audience and services. So it's been an expansion um, um, versus trade-offs um, about how we have to think about stopping to do something in order for us to um, do something new. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is a that is a sweet, truly a sweet spot to be in. Yes, it, yes, it is. Let me ask you about the competitive environment. Netflix made a bit made headlines a couple of months ago saying that they are going to they are going to really amp up their video gaming offerings, making it part of their overall um, their overall price point uh, just one, you know, still sticking with one subscription. How does that how do you think about that? Do you think that Netflix and that enormous, you know, global user base, do you think that they have the stuff to be a, a tough competitor to, to a company of EA size in, in gaming? I think, as I mentioned, we discussed earlier about the pla- about platforms and, um, and, and, and media and entertainment platforms are going to be looking for time and engagement. You call it mindshare, but they're looking for time and engagement mm-hmm. from consumers and from their subscribers. And there is nothing that engages consumers and, and, and people more than games. You watch through a series, you can binge watch um, something, uh, an entire series. It could be 60 hours. I think Game of Thrones is, I don't want to quit it, but it's, it is, you know, it's, I think it's under 100 hours. Right, people it play, is. People play, people play games for a year. They spend hundreds and hundreds of hours in a game. And so um, when you and you think about how massive and how expensive some of this content is in other areas in the medium, gaming is just an awesome um, interactive engagement um, offering for subscribers and for fans. So I know that gaming is, um, is definitely something that is going to be meaningful and important to platform, um, owners. Um, I, we, we've been making games for 40 years and, um, and, and I've seen a lot of very large tech companies spend a lot of money and try to be in gaming. Um, there's that, that is that our, our, the history of our industry is littered with, large tech companies trying to um, make that work. So I, I think we are in a, we, we will remain in a really strong position um, to compete in this area. And I would, and, and I would say that we are also going to be in a unique position to partner with some of these platform partners, because we know how to make games. We know how to engage players. We've been doing it for 40 years, mm-hmm. billions of dollars on technology <laughs> and perfecting and incremental, you know, incrementally improving um, how we, how we create games. It is, um, it is probably one of the most sophisticated, complicated forms of media to create, mm-hmm. and um, it is not to be underestimated. And so, um, so it's interesting. It's interesting that, that there are inter- there's so much interest that's happening in these mm-hmm. large platforms. And, um, and, and when you look at our portfolio, we have sports, we have The Sims, we have Teenage Girls, we have shooter games for core players, we have um, amazing action games like in Star Wars, Jedi Fallen Order. Um, a, a great life service in Apex. We have a really broad breadth 
So electronic arts in particular, we have um, we have a, a broad offering for a lot of different types of consumers. And so I think that we are in a really strong position for strategic partnerships in the future with some of these platforms. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you, is there anything active, any active conversations about such a strategic partnership going on right yeah. now? We currently partner with Microsoft and Sony, um, as you would imagine, and um, and we did partner with Google when they um, were launching Stadia. So we did FIFA and Madden for them, um, and so and we're always we're always in conversations with um, with people. So you know we're always open to um, have dialogue. We're also on Steam um, for our PC mm -hmm. business as well. So one of the things that has been really great for our growth and our history is that we are. We're fairly platform agnostic. I mean, we we just want to get we want to get our we, we're we're game creators. We make mm -hmm. games. And we want the creation of our game developers to be in as many hands as possible. And, um, and it's, it's, um, it's a pretty great position for us to be in, um, for us to be open to talking to partners. So yes, we, we are always talking to our to strategic partners um, where, where there's, where there's um, potential. Don't swipe away anywhere. We'll be right back with more from Electronic Arts' Laura Maielli after the break. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using oh. fabric softener. Oh. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? <laughs> yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. And we're back with more from Electronic Arts' Laura Maielli. Laura, how has EA historically worked best with Hollywood IP? How, how has those kind of partnerships worked best from EA's perspective? Well, I love this question because I was the um, general manager of our Star Wars business um, several years ago when we first signed the contract. So um, this is a good one for me. Um, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll start with Lucas um, Film and Star Wars, but we have had many other um, IP partnerships. We've um, worked with Lord of the Rings, James Bond, Godfather, Simpsons. Um, and I, but I, and I, like I said, I'll speak to Star Wars at this point because this is where we um, have um, a deep partnership with Disney and Lucasfilm. And we, we, we signed a 10-year exclusive deal with Disney and Lucasfilm um, a while back. And I, as I mentioned, I was the general manager and I, because I really wanted this to get started off on the best foot possible. And my philosophy was um, we got the, con you know, Disney Electronic Arts, big 
corporations coming together, created the contract necessary, um, but I did not want the creative partnership and the potential of the creative partnership to be transactional. And we were not, and I, and I said, when I was kicking off meetings with Lucasfilm, I was like, we, we are not going to run this relationship. And it was going to be a relationship and partnership by the letter of a contract. We are going to come together and we're going to be multipliers for each other. We're going to figure out what can we create and how can we show up for fans in a way that only electronic arts plus Lucasfilm plus ILM can possibly do. And so we, we, you know, we are creators and artists and, and engineers and they are creators and artists. And so bringing that community, bringing those people together and, and, and starting off a relationship that comes from the heart and the love of the franchise, the love of these characters, the love of this world and wanting to dare to be great together in the future and, um, and not having, you know, approvals and contracts every time we meet with each other. So that was a really important starting point for us. And so we, I, we kicked off that relationship that way. And I, I just think the best of the creative partnerships have to be that way. Um, and yes, we, there are certainly, we have to respect and follow rules and approvals and, and, and respect each other, um, in, in those ways. But, um, I'll tell you when you can inspire each other creatively and dare to dream even bigger, you can be, you can be a multiplier for each other. And I, I just, I really believe that. And I, I love it when we can have partnerships like that with creative, with other creative IP. Mm-hmm. I think, well, you know, leading off with respect for the creative is definitely never a bad way to, to <laughs> talk to Hollywood. And with something like a Star Wars and Lucas, you can, you know, you can see the value of a long-term relationship with, with a company like that. Are you seeing, um, are you seeing like the, the Star Wars gaming franchises? Are those, do you feel like those are going as strong as ever? You know, we've seen a little bit, I think even Disney is is thinking, you know, they might've pushed the gas a little high on Star Wars and Star Wars related, particularly in the feature realm. We're seeing them tap the brakes there. Are you seeing any softness in the gaming side of the Star Wars franchise? No, we, we, um, we just continue to see strength and growth. And um, we... There's a few areas that you know, our fans and the fans of Star Wars and fans of gaming are um, are, are very, very passionate. And um, I, I think that there are a, a lot of opportunities still on the table for us to continue to pursue to bring this world to life um, for people. And there are many um, incredible veins of fiction and characters and worlds within the Star Wars universe that have still not even been tapped. And so I, I think I just think that there's tremendous potential still and, um, and, and with different threads in the, in the Star Wars world, as well as different genres and gameplay styles in gaming. And so um, there, there's still a big runway for us um, there. A lot of fan interest, a lot of fan engagement. And um, so I, I think that I, I, in many ways, gaming could be just a really great growth engine and um, and, and retention and engagement for, for Lucasfilm and Star Wars overall. And I, I think they see it that way as well. Gaming is a very relevant way for that brand to show up in the market and, and for fans. I know for a long time, gaming was crucial, for, you know, for a long time when there was a long period between yeah. Star Wars films or the kind of the more recent wave that, that for sure I know that executives there know gaming was crucial to keeping it, to keeping the, the name, the franchise vibrant with, with mm-hmm. younger with younger users, um, do you typically, with, with, with at EA, would you typically, like if you see a movie that you think has game potential, would you chase that with the studio or do you tend to, like you get, I'm guessing a lot of incoming calls probably even well before a film is released with people thinking smart, you know, people thinking ahead, like this could have applications as a game. Is it 
a mix of both or yeah, how, how do you typically work with Hollywood? How do you typically yeah. engage uh, just the start of a relationship on a, on a property or something that you might want to license or partner with? Yeah, I, I think it is a little bit of both, like you said. And, um, but I, I, you know, the magic, the magic happens when a creative team in our game studios is just dying to bring an IP to life and they get really motivated and inspired and excited. And games are not, games are not recreations of movies or TV series. Games take the world, they take care of, they create new characters um, and they and they create activities. They, they bring the world to life. And so a player enters into this world and has their own Star Wars experience, um, you know, has their own Godfather experience, Lord of the Rings experience, <laughs> some of the things that we've created. And I, and I think that is that 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 is the magic. And so if you have a team that is so inspired creatively that they want to partner with um, a studio or a brand partner, um, they we oftentimes will connect them together and have them sit and, and talk about what would it mean? What would it mean for us to co-create a game experience together? Um, I, I my early days of the industry, I um, in fact, I came to, I was started at Westwood Studios and we created Command and Conquer. And one of the, one of the first games I worked on and my husband was the, I met my husband there and we were, we worked on Blade Runner together and Blade Runner, like one of the reasons why I went to this company is because they had the Blade Runner license and Blade Runner is just to bring the Blade Runner world to life and have people walk through it and experience it and be in it um, was just what was, was magical. It's just, it's, it's just magic. And so, but again, the, like the deep inspiration comes from the creative teams. Um, I have found that when it's, when it's an equation of, oh, <laughs> this was a very large movie and we have this game opportunity, we should bring these together. Um, th th that happens in the industry for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not, it's not as, it's not the magic that you unlock or unleash like we have with Star Wars right now and, and their partnership in the team. We have a lot of, um, you know, our Respawn team is working on Star Wars games right now and we have a great mobile game as well. And they're just, it's it's even a retention that thing that the that these game creators can work in this world that they've known and loved for so many years. Um, it's something that's really inspiring to them. So that that's I, I look for the matchup of the creative love and interest with a, a, with a brand partner. Mm -hmm. It's that it's the passion for the creative process that drives the best results. That that as a clear commonality between the yes. worlds. Yeah. Um, we're I've certainly we've I've read a lot, seen that video gaming as an opportunity for e-commerce and for live events within video within video gaming on streaming platforms are seen as real opportunities and a lot of growth potential. Is, is there anything in that arena that that EA is working on? Well, I, you know, live services um, is is when we. Um, have our game framework in the world, and um, and we show up with events. We show up with new content. We engage with players, and um, and through that, there is um, you know there are um, transactions where where players buy content or they're buying um, an event. Um, so that really is what um, as you know, as you're saying, e-commerce. That that's what that looks like um, mm -hmm. in the world today. And um, and we are we. This is where players want to be. And um, and so we are investing quite a bit. And as I mentioned, you know, over the pandemic last year, we released 400 live service updates for mm -hmm. players. And so th this is really what it means to um, show up and, and and connect with them on um, a very regular basis. And that that's where our industry is going. There are games as well, like our Apex game. 
is free to play. So you you enter into the game for free, and um, and it has it, it it generates and creates this great liquidity in the community. A lot of players, and then we um, offer players to purchase weapons and vanity items, like to you know kind of show badge of honor and things that they you know maybe have they they've earned the right to. Um, have a special insignia or a special collector item or something like that. And so that, that is, and then they also to participate in events. And so that, that is a, a great way for um, engagement where we have this offering for everyone. And then that those that want to take it a step further are able to do that through, um, you know, through, through, through a transaction. We've been talking about e-commerce for 20 years, watching a TV show. I like that sweater. I want to buy it. But what you're talking about and what, you know, the examples that we've seen in recent, in recent months are, are, are pretty staggering. It is, and it's, I see it as another level of engagement. You you love something and you want to spend more time in it or you want to go deeper into the world or have events with friends. Like the, the opportunities and the extensions um, that I think is are, are there is significant. I mean, I've, I've played games that for years, you know, online games that, um, yeah, we, you invest more in your character or you want to build out, you know, a certain world or add to the inventory that you have. And it's just, to me, it's another engagement model that I think is really meaningful to consumers. Do you think um, we've been talking so much of the future is, is very much online and streaming on demand. Do you think that the, the world, the hardware world of of video gaming with set-top boxes. I mean, I know I realize that the physical disc is already going away, but the the, the hardware. Do you think that it's all going to just come through a through a stream in the in you know ten years, twenty years time? Yeah, that is a great question. Um, possibly. However, again, I think this idea about yes and. Um, I think the idea about streaming and cloud is about accessibility and playing anywhere. I, one of the things I love about our industry is that we are a blockbuster entertainment business still. And I just, it's so fun and it's, it's incredible. And just like the movie industry, you could download pretty much any movie to your TV or your iPad, you know, gasp, poor directors and, and creators like, nope, I'm watching everything on my iPad, let alone sitting in a movie theater, experiencing the incredible multi-channels of sound and special effects and the characters larger than life. And so I would like to think that there's potentially always going to be a dimension of our industry of this blockbuster feel and experience. And, um, you know, hardware certainly provides that kind of processing power locally um, mm-hmm. for um, the experience. But, you know, to your point, 20 years from now, um, you know, based on infrastructure and um, that, that, that there's a world where the processing and the um, the graphics and everything are, are better served by streaming and cloud mm-hmm. um, that will come into the living room. But, um, you know, I, I look at our industry and innovation and tech as I'm sure you do too, as you're thinking about entertainment, it's kind of in five-year increments because mm-hmm. you know it's a, you, have to, you have to pace yourself a little bit about what you know what, what the possibilities are. Um, so, so I think there'll be a combination of both for a little while. My last question for you is: I would love to know, in your experience, I know you've been with EA for for many years now. What was it in your background, whether at EA or before coming to EA? What was it that you think that really? What were what was something in in your previous experience that prepared you, best prepared you for the job you have now? Well, I started in architecture and design before I came into gaming. And what drew me to gaming the most was um, was being able to go online and play with other people. So the idea that you could have this shared experience with other people was super interesting to me and, um, and, and, and brought me into this incredible 
industry and media. And I feel very fortunate to have had a great career um, in that. Um, and I think that the that process of I just have always have had this great into this deep intellectual curiosity about um, new things and, and human connection and um, and form and following function and you know the, how you think about the possibilities versus using an old playbook and keep iterating and being incremental about something. And so I think that starting in architecture and design and daring to think about the problem and how to design a solution. Um, and then, and then just having the intellectual curiosity and allowing my intellectual curiosity to lead me to multiple roles through my career. Um, so as I came into gaming and being, even being in gaming, I had many different responsibilities through marketing and sales. Data and analytics was one of my favorite responsibilities that I had. And the all roads for me being a COO at a company like Electronic Arts, all roads led to this because now I have had a deep understanding of our studio organization, of our marketing um, organization, of our business, mm-hmm. data and analytics about our players. And so the convergence of these things in most businesses today, certainly electronic arts and gaming, um, but the convergence of so many things coming together and being far more vertical and how you think about um, the business opportunities, your consumer um, you know, opportunities and, and benefits for them. Um, all have come together. And so um, I think the idea of being open to ideas and many different things, um, the the culmination of all these experiences, even the GM of Star Wars, you know, brought me here. And um, I have a, a certain purview and experiences to help integrate and help us move faster um, as we innovate and think differently about the future. Thanks for listening. Be sure to go to Variety.com, find the Newsletters tab, and sign up for the new Strictly Business newsletter. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Strictly Business. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff.